On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan and Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agus Suligam a Makan Shah Gurfeder Echor in Uik Kart Len of Winter Fame. Skilti Fis Turmi. Tashe Dochretche Nach Vetoch Ara Igornamion on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Well, it's Christmas Eve and the little ones will be getting very excited while the rest of us might actually finally have time to sit down, put our feet up and listen to some of the tales of our old Christmas traditions and indeed how we became the shoppers that we are today. You're listening to the Indo Daily. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today I'm joined by Ethna Massey, author of The Turning of the Year, Lore and Legends of the Irish Seasons, which is published by the O'Brien Press and Damien O'Reilly, TU Dublin academic and retail analyst. Ethna Massey, tell me about our Christmas traditions then and now. Well, our Christmas traditions go back a long, long way. In fact, we've been celebrating a midwinter festival in Ireland for thousands of years because if you look at Newgrange, it was geared towards the the solstice. Uh, in terms of the way it was built and the way the light was channeled through it. But I suppose then Christmas itself obviously came with Christianity. And it's um, as time went on, uh, Christmas became a, a more important feast, if you like, in the Christian year. And it became very much a family feast. Um, certainly in Ireland, it was the time when people came home... It might be the one time of the year that people saw their children who were away uh, either working uh, somewhere else in Ireland or um, abroad. And it was uh, a hugely important feast that was prepared for months in advance in terms of, you know, preparing the Christmas puddings, the Christmas cake, in some cases making pochine, uh, whitewashing the houses inside and out. And then, of course, uh, decorating the houses with, with greenery, with holly and ivy. Um, and then, of course, the, around the Christmas, the, the, the days around Christmas itself, uh, there were very specific things that were done um, uh, by, the, by, by, the, by the country people, by, by people all over Ireland. And I suppose one of the, the ones that is, has gone on and has been continued on and is very kind of, I think, connected to Ireland is the, the Christmas candle candle in the window. And that's it um, Ethna, that, that's exactly what I was hoping to ask you about because the candle in the window has has been around for years in terms of a Christmas tradition and we still do it now, don't we? 
we still do it now. Which it's a it's a lovely tradition. I mean, certain things have changed, I suppose. Um, Throughout Ireland, there would have been slightly different traditions associated with the candle. In some cases, uh, they would have had a candle for everybody in the house, including the children, small candles for the children. But in most cases, it was a single candle that was left lit all night. And the tradition was that it would guide the Holy Family um, to the house. And there are stories of people, uh, children being brought up to the hills to see, you know, the whole valley being set alight by the candles in the window. And there are also other kind of associated traditions with that. Uh, one of them was that it would be the smallest child in the house that lit the candle, which was obviously a big um, privilege for them. Or uh, in some cases, uh, the, the child who lit the candle would have to be called Mary. Oh. And that was probably in the days when you had a Mary in every family. Probably might be more a bit bit more difficult now to, <laughs> to to follow that tradition. But the candle was left lit all night um, to light the Holy Family. And in some cases, a bowl of water was left beside it, and that was then considered holy water uh, that you could use for for cures during the year because the Holy Family would have blessed it as they passed. Ethna, there's another thing that we do in terms of um, uh, our Christmas traditions. Um, in more modern times, leaving the carrots or cookies out for Rudolph and Santa now, but that wasn't always the case, was it? We were actually leaving food out for those who had passed away. That, that was right. The door was left unlatched and those who had passed, particularly during the year before, were welcomed into the house and, you know, were made part, I suppose, of the festivities, which is, again, is another lovely tradition. And the other then uh, tradition around uh, Christmas would have been to bring um, wreaths to the graves of those who who, who had died. And that still continues as well. I think it's still quite a strong tradition um, all over the country. And that was the thing, wasn't it? We we had a, a, a real celebration f- for all those who had passed uh, going over generations that they were always kind of kept in in our thoughts, uh, particularly at Christmas time. At Christmas, yes, uh, there was that 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 sense of you know remembering the family, and also of course remembering those who were far away because emigration would have been such a part of Irish life, um, and as well as as you know sending cards and sending good wishes or presents uh, back in maybe say the thirties and forties. There would have been the highly anticipated uh, letter from America, which usually included a few bob as well for the children in the house. And what what's all this about animals being granted the power of speech on Christmas Eve? Well, they're, 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 the animals were both granted the power of speech at midnight and they were also... Uh, it was considered that they would they would kneel as well in in worship. I suppose, in a way, it goes back to the connection between the animal with the animals in the in the original in the manger in the crib, uh, the ox and the ass. Um, but it's a it's a beautiful tradition. Obviously, if you went out at midnight and tried to see this, you wouldn't. It would take the the magic away. Yeah. Uh, but the animals were very well looked after at Christmas as well. They were also they were usually given extra food. And in some cases, uh, the greenery that was used to decorate the house was also used to decorate the byre and the stable. So animals had their own Christmas, apart from the poor old goose or turkey that was eaten. <laughs> <laughs> and what about uh, our, our Pishogs, uh, Ethna, our superstitions? Well, I mean, there were there were very, as I say, there were very kind of positive and lovely traditions, like the, the bowl of water becoming holy water during the, the the year. There were some that were a little bit darker. Um, there was one around the Christmas pudding, 
uh, you were, it was very unlucky to slice the pudding before Christmas. And if the pudding um, broke when it was being boiled, that would actually mean uh, that uh, there would be a death in the in the coming year. Oh, so the, the housewives would have had to be very careful with their puddings. And then if you look at, say, the 28th of, of, of December, that was considered a really unlucky day because it was the date of the slaughter of the innocents where the children were killed by, by Herod. And anything, you didn't begin any work on that day. Uh, if, if it was, say, if it fell on a Monday or a Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday would be unlucky throughout the year. Uh, there were there were there was also the, the things like the forbidden things that you didn't do. Um, there's one kind of horrific story about the little boy who stole the fairy holly, it, uh, because he you know obviously he was full of berries, and um, he uh, they put it very politically incorrectly in the 1930s that within a year he was in the the lunatic asylum. So whatever happened there, we don't know what the real story is, but uh, it's. Um, the, it, it was that sense that you didn't interfere with the fair, the fairies, and it was just kind of interesting that the fairies were considered to to, to need holly too, whether they did their own decoration or not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and Athena, you you've clearly done a whole lot of research for this book, and it, it is a lovely read, and and you do cover the whole year. And I guess our focus on on Christmas is that this today is. Christmas Eve and, you know, people will be getting ready for tomorrow's big day of celebrations. Was Christmas Day back in the day as, as big as it is now? We're, we're, I know we were feasting, but were we, were we kind of feasting to the extent we are now? It's kind of hard to say. Um, probably in comparison, um, given that, you know, the times the people would have been a lot more abstemious in those days. And in fact, up to 1917, Advent was a fast period. So, you know, going into Christmas, it would have been a huge, um, a huge thing to have so much food around. Um, I think we probably eat an awful lot more <laughs> these days anyway. I think I the signs are so. on it. <laughs> but um, in, in comparison, um, Christmas was definitely um, the, the big feast of the year. And it was about it was about the family, but it was also about conviviality. And even go, doing things like there was usually a Christmas market. It was called the big market, um, you know, a couple of weeks before Christmas. And that would be when, say, the mother and father would go in and buy all the goodies for Christmas, uh, buy the gifts, um, uh, buy the food, uh, you know, and see people as well. Because if it, as it was a big market in the big local town, you might see people, you might not see, the, you know, the rest of the year. So it was a real cause for celebration. There was a there was a, a real sense of community as well, wasn't there? I mean, you know, an, an occasion was was celebrated by many, not just the individual household. Yeah. And there were there were certain traditions even on Christmas Day itself. Um, apparently after mass, in a lot of cases, uh, the lads would bring their hurleys to the church and there'd be a game afterwards or they might go hunting or they might go shooting afterwards and then kind of come back where the you know the the women of the house had been slaving over the cooker um and and eat their huge christmas dinner but then of course women had their own special day as well which is another lovely and and very specifically irish tradition in terms of nolignaman uh, the epiphany and that was the day when they were put their feet up 
and, um, you know, recovered, I suppose, after all the work that was involved in in, uh, preparing Christmas. That one day of putting uh, their feet up, um, Ethna, lucky ladies. What about um, (laughs) about the the Wren boys? Because this is sadly a dying tradition, but it was once so big, wasn't it, on the 26th of December, Stephen's Day? Yes, the the hunting the ran, it was all over the country now. It's still obviously in some places and, you know, Dingle is the one I suppose that springs to mind. Um, But it's still carried out in in other places. But the idea was that, um, and it's, I definitely I, I has 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 pag- has to have pagan roots because the the ran in in Irish tradition was known as the druid bird the drolene and um he was hunted um killed in originally obviously that doesn't happen anymore but then he was crowned and put in a cage and carried through the uh, through the villages to the houses in some cases by men and boys who were dressed up um uh, costumed. There was, in, in some cases, there'd be a hobby horse, a bit like um, mummers, in fact, but they'd be singing, dancing, and demanding of, of money. Like in some cases, uh, in one account in the the school's um, collection, the 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 little girl who's telling, talking about the Ren boy, she said, "Well, you know, the people always like to see." The, the, the little fellas come dressed up with their ran, not so much uh, the older people because or the older men, because the money was collected and it was basically used to buy porter and have a big session afterwards. So, you know, it wasn't considered there were in some cases uh, it was con- it's considered not 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 the best thing to be encouraging um, a lot of people to go out and get drunk the night after Christmas. <laughs> Damien O'Reilly, TU Dublin academic and retail analyst. What are the origins of gift giving? Are we really going back to, uh, say, the Three Kings? Yeah, go back to the Magi and uh, bringing gold, frankincense and myrrh to to baby Jesus. And it started a tradition at the time, but it really actually developed in uh, probably what we're talking about today and the consumerism surrounding it probably happened between, you know, the 1800s uh, when New York's population actually grew tenfold very, very, very quickly with uh, immigrants coming into uh, into New York. So it grew tenfold between 1800 and 1850. And at that time, there was uh, quite an elite population uh, in New York who were worried and got a little bit frightened about the uh, uh, what was happening with the, 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 the labourers at the time, as they were called. Um, what they were doing over the Christmas period is that, you know, the agricultural season was over and then the winter came and they were very poor. And there was kind of December rituals then, a uh, kind of social inversion uh, where the poor people, you know, were literally demanding food and drink because they had no income from the wealthy and then they would celebrate in the streets. So what they tried to do is they tried to gradually move these Christmas celebrations, the elites, um, out of the city's uh, streets and into uh, into homes. So basically they started giving presents, but the, the celebrations were done in the home. And then in, I think it was 1823, uh, a guy called uh, Clement Clark Moore, he kind of solidified the tradition of celebrating Christmas on Christmas Day with the poem. We all know it, you know, it was the night before Christmas when all around the house, not a creature was moving, not even a mouse. So that then cemented uh, Santa Claus as a, um, as, as, as a, I won't say a person, but as a person in 1823. And he, he developed within that poem um, 
uh, just as an aside there, you know, the the uh, the eight um, uh, reindeer were were named, you know, Dancer, Dasher, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cooper, Donder and Blitzen. And then it was Rudolph didn't come along till 1939 when some guy uh, used uh, or developed Rudolph for a colouring book and put a red nose on him. Um, so that's kind of where the origins came. And it's been a tradition ever since then. And, you know, it's, it's evolved over the last, um, obviously, couple of centuries since since that since that happened in um, in in New York, that that particular episode happened in New York. And Damien, we've had so many uh, different examples of where Christmas really has come into its own over the the centuries. Uh, you know, even going back to to uh, Charles Dickens' uh, a Christmas Carol. I mean, that that was really significant for kind of marking that time of the year. Then, wasn't it? It was, you know, and it obviously coincides with the religious uh, festival that is Christmas that uh, Christians celebrate and. Um, yeah, and a lot has been built about, you know, Coca-Cola developed the Santa in the red uniform, for example, uh, and all those traditions have developed and evolved over um, over the centuries. And really, you know, over the last century with the likes of Coca-Cola and others, then making it um, uh, a gift-giving season. Damien, as well as, the, as this, uh, consumerism is massive around Christmas time and we kind of we kind of know when we we started really embracing the shopping uh, buzz didn't we there was a, a winter of 1867 when Macy's kept its uh, its its store open until midnight on Christmas Eve and there was a huge kind of um backlash to this people were saying well how how can this department store be doing this but it caught on and we've been doing it ever since yeah, absolutely. And th- they stayed open. And then what happened is others stayed open. And then once that begins to happen and it becomes the norm, um, then the, the rush for Christmas, you know, especially over the last uh, 20, 25 years, is people have been not in the last five years or, you know, seven years, but certainly in the previous 20 years before that, people would tend to spend a lot of their money uh, or buy their presents coming up to Christmas in the last couple of weeks coming up to Christmas. Then what you saw is that... Um, uh, retailers started to get a bit nervous in about 2008 with the recession is that uh, people's obviously their consumption declined uh, and the amount of money they had to spend declined so um, you know more expensive presents weren't being bought uh, retailers were left or looking like they were going to be left with uh, stock so they actually started what was traditionally a January sale so they started those January sales then in December because they were fearful of being um, uh, uh, left with excess stock, which they'd already bought and committed to and had purchased, and it was in the store. So to get rid of that stock and to generate cash for the following season is that uh, sales started happening before Christmas. So we started getting used to, as customers, to to uh, having sales. And a lot of the times now we're driven by, uh, you know, consumer behavior is, that's a very nice jacket, it's 200 euros. Um, I'm going to wait till it's on sale and maybe I can buy it for half price up to, you know, maybe 100 euros. So that mentality and that consumer uh, behavior changed coming up to Christmas um, around that time because you know the Celtic Tiger meant that we didn't have to have sales that everyone was willing to pay uh, full price for whatever it was until they actually the actual January sales but that changed the the consumer's behavior then obviously we had the the, the growth and the trends with the internet and online so we're able then to do more price comparisons than we were previously but if you remember back even 10 12 years ago you know those sales were happening um, 
before Christmas. And then what's happened then is, you know, uh, consumers got used to buying things on sale. So we've been accustomed to that. So companies and retailers are having more sales than they did previously on certain sections within the store. So maybe footwear uh, one week or one month, uh, maybe clothing and another month, uh, accessories or whatever. So especially in the department stores where they'll have something on sale, bring you into the store, hopefully you buy something in the sale and then maybe you buy some complimentary goods that are not on sale to increase their sales. You know, what we see now is... um, Great animation in the department store, especially Christmas windows. Um, but it's actually the Industrial Revolution that um, we have to thank for the origin of the great Christmas uh, windows. So basically, window shopping was a pastime because, uh, you know, you know, back in the 1800s, not a lot of people could afford to, to buy things. And they used to look and see what the, the richer people were buying. And, um, you know, in the 19th century then, when gaslighting appeared in the 1800s, some of the earliest uses was to illuminate shop windows. So people then, you know, the bright displays during the night um, were absolutely fantastic. And, uh, the, you know, they lit the streets and it was very striking at the time. Well, I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was presented and produced by myself with research by Tabitha Monaghan with sound design by Gavin Hennessy. You can listen to the Indo-Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Christmas. <laughs>